Hi everyone, welcome to the very first episode of Deep End Life After Uni. Joining me today for the very first episode for this podcast series is Mo Ismail. Mo is a structural engineer and has been working at BG&E for the last three years and this year will be his fourth year. So today he will be going through a bit about his uni life and give us an insight on his career so far. Hey Colin, thanks for having me. I really think that this is a good opportunity for people to hear about what we do and understand the industry a bit more. It's certainly something that I was looking forward to experiencing when I was at university. Thanks, and I really do appreciate you taking the time to share some of your experience so far. So diving straight into it, why did you choose civil engineering? Well, you know, all the all the standard stuff. I enjoy the maths and the sciences. I enjoy solving problems, working within teams and contributing to the built environment, uh, something that's pretty essential for society to operate. So just the creation of things using geometry and our understanding of materials and getting to have a lot of autonomy over what decisions are made. Thanks for that. And I definitely do agree with that. So civil engineering is the degree you studied in university, but after uni, when we're in the workforce, there's a fair few different specializations you can uh, do. So for an example, there's geotech, waterways, hydraulics, and, and structural. So my next question is, I guess, why did you choose structural engineering specifically over the other uh, specializations? Yeah, so I guess there are some disciplines that are quite common and then some that become more and more specialized that you only get very little exposure to at university. But for me, um, I chose structures because it's always been something that's interested me um, from introducing us to statics in year 12, um, but also a lot of the units we did in first year uni that were common with other disciplines and you get a bit of exposure into everything. Um, the structural mechanics side of those physics courses were things that really interested me. Um, I, I guess the other thing is where a structural engineer fits into the bigger puzzle of the industry uh, compared to say a geotechnical engineer compared to say a waterways engineer. I think structural engineers generally can work in a more versatile role uh, that may involve leading projects and, mm -hmm. and projects of quite a substantial size. So instead of fitting into one piece or element of a project, you are generally standing at the top able to you know, decide where the pieces fit in. Yeah, now that I look back and reflect on my uni degree at UWA, there did seem to be a larger or stronger focus on structural engineering we did touch on geotech or hydraulics but it was quite minor and hydrology was an elective and we it was up to you if you wanted to do it or not but actually one question i forgot to ask earlier was what uni did you actually go to so i went to curtin university in perth but in perth there are a fair few universities and i'm sure a lot of them would have offered the civil engineering course as well why did you choose Curtin University specifically uh, look some of the unis didn't quite offer the structural engineering degree when I was at high school um, as well as that I guess there were only really two that were an, an option for me um, Curtin and UWA I guess because of proximity and also uh, how long their degree has been around and how it was recognized in, in the industry 
Uh, I had heard that Curtin was a lot more practical than UWA. The other thing, I guess, is that I was trying to be pragmatic in my decision making. So UWA was considered more prestigious at the time, um, but it had an extra year in a uncharted degree format with the three plus two where you have to do an undergrad in science and then do a two-year master's of professional engineering so i thought that okay i'd probably get more exposure doing the civil specific things at curtin uh, and the i guess the thing that sealed the deal was that curtin offered a scholarship for people who got above a 96 atar um, whereas uwa didn't so there was a financial incentive there as well uh, and logistically, Curtin was a lot closer to me than UWA. So Curtin was about a 10, 15 minute drive from where I was, but UWA was about 30 or 35 minutes. Yeah. So I guess weighing the pros and cons against each other, the decision mm. was made clear for me. When you reflect back on your uni experience, uh, specifically for the civil engineering course, what did you like and what did you dislike? It's a loaded question. Um, look, I think the good things about Curtin are probably consistent with most universities. You know, you have a social network that you can interact with and, and make friends with. The campus is pretty nice. It offers amenities and services. Um, and I think the degree as a whole was good. There were a lot of lecturers that actually were passionate about teaching students. And I guess some of the qualms I would have was the erosion of quality and I guess as institutions for education look to become more and more profitable they end up eroding away some of their um, defining features and characteristics you know you get too many students for the lecturers to take care of and so the quality of or, or standard of educating reduces you get a quieter voice when your classes have more and more people in them um, but it wasn't anything unbearable. I really do feel for people now who are, you know, paying the same tuition fees, expected to do the same assessments, but because of COVID, they can't really attend lectures and workshops or they're not being hosted. So, yeah, look, it, it definitely was um, something that could be improved on, but it wasn't yeah. terrible. Um, and I think that pendulum is probably swinging into the into the really challenging um, side of things and students need to take more control over their education now. Yeah, I definitely do agree with that. And in my own opinion, I think that some students expect the lecturers and the tutors to teach them everything, but that's impossible, right? You can't possibly teach someone everything. So the students do have to take an initiative to come up with questions to ask the tutors and the lecturers because they're there to help you. Uh, touching back on what you said about scholarships, I do believe that UWA has started providing scholarships to anyone with a 96 ATAR or higher that will be studying engineering at uni. I believe that started uh, a year after I joined, but you're right, it is still a five-year course. Look, on that note as well, actually, and this is... Definitely not me being biased. Uh, both unis have their merit, uh, but the practical side of Curtin, I think, is actually very advantageous. Now, having been in the industry, it's my fourth year. I have been interviewing people for graduate roles. I've been delegating tasks to and managing mentoring VAC students and grads at my company. 
And there is actually quite an obvious discrepancy between UWA and Curtin in terms of um, coursework and material. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of it is the three plus two structure that UWA adopts. Um, but I think the the lecturers at Curtin have kind of been around longer now and we've been poaching some of the academics from UWA. So I think the actual quality of the degree is higher. Um, I did also tutor people from the UWA course uh, and I was, to be honest, dissatisfied with some of the some of the material. So I do think Curtin has a higher quality degree. Yeah, yeah. So you touched on earlier about how Curtin Uni really set you up for the industry. Could you please elaborate on that? Well, we had a lot of focus on the project management side of things and how that fed into the technical, uh, I guess, complexities. So we had some very core units um, that required the design knowledge. It required project management. It required setting up schedules. It required working with other teams and tendering and uh, applying quality control procedures and the assignments were very rigorous, you know, they'd often be mm-hmm. 200 pages long. You'd be in a group of four. One of them was delivering um, a platform for a train station. Yeah. And they always contextualized it with real projects. So, for example, we did the Burswood train station. Yeah. Um, we did a, a portal frame shed um, where we had to present drawings. We had to present costing we had to present a design all of Mm -hmm. our design calculations and then kind of encompass all of the decision making um, in a report and we probably had four units with that focus Mm -hmm. Um, so you know on four separate occasions you're working on a three-month-long project in a team with a rigorous assessment criteria and often substantial assignment outcomes and uh, you know, it, it really does apply to the industry and that was really their focus. And I've noticed that, you know, as I've worked more and more, I'm actually adopting a lot of those principles and really it's just an extension from what I was doing at uni. So nothing was too foreign mm-hmm. for me in that regard. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think that's what happened to really set me up for the practical side of things. Yeah, well, thanks for that insight. Um, when you were applying for graduate positions, were BGE your first preference? Look, it's kind of weird because when I first got into uni, it was actually the start of the mining bust. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember being in second year thinking, all right, well, I want to start chipping away at the requirement for work experience, the 480 hours to graduate. That's pretty consistent among universities. And, you know, I was applying and applying and applying and I ended up doing 12 weeks unpaid yeah. um, because it was so challenging to get a- any jobs. And I think in third year, I was applying heaps. I got to the final round of GHD and then got knocked back and then um, was kind of doing odd casual jobs here and there. And it wasn't until fourth year that I got offered a two-week Um, VAC position by one of my lecturers at a company he used to work for which uh, I learned a lot at and then I started working part-time for GHD as well at a a similar time so I was doing two or three days a week from Mm -hmm. there and then I'd only met or heard about BG&E 
um, in my final year actually. So I was at a careers fair and I had a chat with these two blokes who were grads at BGE and had set up the stall for that semester. And you know, I opened up a channel of communication with them and they basically asked me for my resume and cover letter. Mm -hmm. And then I started engaging with them for other reasons because I was the president of the Curtin Civil Engineering Association. Uh, and so through that rapport building, I managed to secure an interview yep. and um, luckily got offered the job. But to be honest, I, I didn't really have anything in particular explicitly lined up. Mm -hmm. um, but I did know that I wanted to do structures, not necessarily bridges, but I've come to appreciate the transport infrastructure uh, industry and sector above buildings and other things because I guess in terms of lifestyle, it, it's more conducive of overall good well-being. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you, you mentioned that you, you were a part of a club. You were a president of Curtin Civil Society. Yeah, so CCEA, Curtin Civil Engineering Association. Um, it was actually my brainchild. So uh, in second year, I thought about the fact that Curtin didn't have a club on offer that could really match up students with the industry and give us exposure to things that were going to boost our resume and really prepare us for the real world. Um, proposed it to a few people in second year, but I guess the timing wasn't right and I couldn't get enough people to start a committee. Uh, and then in third year, I managed to rally up enough people. Mm -hmm. And then um, by fourth year, we started the club and got about 150 to 200 members in the first year and right. a lot of scholar, uh, a lot of sponsorships, sorry, yeah. and hosted a few events with industry. Um, and so, yeah, that, that did really benefit everyone in my cohort and in the years below us because it was the first thing of its kind at Curtin. And, yeah. and we really managed to get a lot of people vac work or grad positions out of that yeah. so do you think that it is very beneficial for uni students to i guess take part in these clubs or attend these events absolutely look i think it's critical and anyone that is doing good for themselves is joining these things um, not necessarily as a committee member but just as a general member um, and it actually astonishes me that more people don't capitalize on these opportunities that mm -hmm. are often yeah. put on a platter for them. You know, you yeah. can utilize the blood, sweat and tears of other people who have, you know, been nurturing these clubs and building connections with industry and mm -hmm. hosting events um, and just go to these things. You know, you might pay five bucks or something to sign up yeah. um, and then you, you get access to the whole year's worth of events you might be paying a small fee for some of the events, not all, but then you're basically going to a pub with um, a bunch of students and a bunch of people from industry, or you're doing a quiz with them, or you're going to a workshop, whether it's technical or, or they're just, I guess, explaining certain things about the industry. And, and you can really benefit from that because it improves your understanding and also lets you open up uh, communications with people that are actually working in companies and, and you get to take your pick of what kind of company you want to apply for. Mm -hmm. And it, yeah, as I said, it just does a lot of the hard work for you. One of the disappointing things when I was um, the president of CCEA and even yeah. now, um, because I still do consult these clubs, yeah. um, is that I realized you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. You know, you, you try and encourage people to do things that are going to benefit them and their careers and just make life easier for them. Mm -hmm. 
and for some reason there's a lot of resistance to it so if i can get one message out there would be work smarter not harder and these things are out there for you to work smarter instead of you know spending a lot of time and effort doing it on your own yeah i definitely do agree with that you know you have hundreds of civil engineering students and all these different unis who don't really make an effort to attend these events run by these clubs and it really does astonish me because it is a great opportunity to meet and network with people in the industry right um, understandably even when I was in uni I feel that a lot of students tend to apply for the big companies when applying for grad jobs and and vac work but they just forget about the consultancies and forget about the con- uh, the construction companies but the construction companies and the consultancies are actually the main sponsors for these clubs so I really do recommend attending these events and personally speaking I was a part of a civil engineering club at UWA and I met and and talked and networked with people from the industry who were sponsors and that's how I actually landed my first VAC job you know in in uni Um, so I definitely do agree with you Mo um, and I'd recommend every student to attend these events because it's really beneficial yeah definitely and and some of my um, long-term friends and people that I consider myself going to be friends with for life I met through these clubs um, so that definitely scratches the itch of social needs but also really benefits your career yeah definitely um, going back to bg and in your last three years at bg what would you say you enjoyed the most and enjoyed the least? Um, look, I guess my situation is kind of unique because BGE have given me a lot of autonomy, uh-huh. um, which means that I get to work on really interesting projects. I get to manage things. I get to, I guess, step into the shoes of a probably a senior engineer um, at this stage, but. When I had first started, they gave me free reign. Um, so I was working on very complex things. I was learning a lot along the way um, and really just upskilling myself and trying to do things differently in, in unique ways, in effective ways. Um, so did a lot of programming stuff, um, worked on some bridges that I was the lead designer for, um, currently working on two tunnels for the Tonkin Gap project, yeah. uh, doing... A lot of niche things as well. Um, source structure interactions, blast design, fire design, um, a lot of post-tensioning or, or refurbishment, retrofitting and strengthening works. Um, I helped design the upgrade for the Hay Street Bridge. Oh, nice. Um, I did the Manning Road Freeway South on-ramp in my first year, uh, the Roe Calamunda Road Bridge in my second year. I did a lot of the substructure for the FMG Alawana project. So it's, it's been really good and I've been really satisfied and my passions have flared significantly. Yep. Um, and, and basically anything that I've asked for, BGNE have given me um, in, in terms of wanting exposure to management, in terms of wanting to work on certain technical problems, wanting to work in certain contractual arrangements. So things have been great there. Um, but I think the industry as a whole is in a really tumultuous phase at the moment 
um, it had been building up slowly, but then with COVID um, and the fact that I work mostly with public sector clients, mm -hmm. things have gotten a bit out of control because our industry is the first industry to get stimulated by government, um, you know, in case of economic issues. Mm -hmm. And so what happened was with COVID, Mark McGowan has expedited a lot of these projects that were planned to be um, brought in further down in the pipeline and yeah. he's brought them upstream. Um, and so I, I, I actually went to like a future industry breakfast series yep. um, where the head of an organization called OMTED, the Office of Major Transport Infrastructure Delivery, it's basically PTA and main roads together from a management perspective, uh, funding and managing all of these very large scale projects that yep. are about at the moment. Um, and so a lot of these projects have been expedited. He said there's $8 billion of state funding in the next four years in our industry. And so that's really stretched everyone thin. Um, and there are a lot of big projects that are demanding. And so we're now understaffed. And mm. it's not like you can just get a bridge engineer or a tunnel engineer or someone with the required experience out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, and particularly with the COVID issues of travel, you can't get people from overseas or it's very difficult. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, there's just a lot of work right now and it's in that transitionary phase where people are still sobering up to the fact that the industry is not actually capable of delivering the vast volume and complexity of the work that's coming in. And so, um, yeah, everyone's really busy. I'm, I'm really busy. I've been working a lot. I've been going outside of my comfort zone. Um, but I think it's, it's kind of entered that level of unsustainable um, unless things are done. And I oh. think it has to be done at an industry level. So that's probably the biggest thing that's been frustrating me recently. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I, I enjoy the work. I enjoy the industry. Um, I get paid comfortably. So it's really just seen as a short-term challenge that I'm sure will overcome and, and people will come to the realization that you can't just, you know, cram things into a particular time slot if yeah. you don't have all of the ingredients required. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely agree with that. So basically the message that Mo is trying to send is that they're, they're looking for more, I guess, graduates to move into the consulting space. Yeah, look, absolutely. And um, I do think consulting is a really important first step for any civil engineer's career mm -hmm. um, because without that technical basis, you don't really have a leg to stand on in decision making. And it's really hard to get that technical foundation later on. Yeah. It's, it's one of those building blocks that you're best off having as the base to yeah. everything that you yeah. do. Yeah, I definitely do agree with that. And it's really important and, and really beneficial if you're able to develop these technical skills in the beginning of your career. And it really sets you up for the future as well because you'll be able to move into any industry that you like, you know, oil and gas, uh, mining and construction. All these companies are willing to take you on as an experienced hire because you have these technical skills. Uh, say you started off in a project management role and didn't have the same opportunities to develop these skills and then in the future you decide that you want to move into a technical field then it's actually really difficult and almost impossible to do this because uh, consultancies aren't willing to take you on as an experienced hire 
and teach you these technical skills when they can hire a fresh graduate straight out of uni uh, who has the same level experience in terms of um, technical skills and they're actually much cheaper to to train as well so in reality developing these technical skills in the beginning of your career sets you up for the future exactly yeah the only thing i'd tack on to that good advice is that you should always focus on your soft skills um, it's not all about technical skills and it's it's really a question of how much balance do I have? How versatile am I? Um, how well can I communicate my ideas and, and negotiate and persuade uh, and write? So I think really, yeah, you need a good foundation in the technical space, but mm. you should also never neglect those soft skills as well. Yeah. So am I right to assume that you have met with a lot of clients when you're leading these projects and engaging with them and convincing them that they should choose BGE and and as the, yeah, as the job and, and contract. I mean, not just, so just to backtrack, yeah, I, I do actually spend a lot of time with clients. I've mm-hmm. been seconded to main roads for six months where I was working with a client directly. Um, I partake in design meetings, in hazard identification and operational hazard workshops. Um, obviously communicating with clients through email and writing reports and and just the drawings Mm -hmm. themselves as well um so yeah i mean there really is a need to be able to a convince them that we are the best consultants for the job Mm -hmm. but also convince them that we're doing a good job along the way and that we are providing them with value and that if things need a change they need a change for a reason and that it's the best choice for good outcomes of the project so every way along the stage from tender prelim design all the way to ifc stage issued for construction and practical completion stages you need to have strong communication and transparency with the client so just touching back regarding what you said about an increase in demand for consultancies due to a lot of future projects being expedited to to now um i was just wondering what was your experience with working from home because you know this was all during covid and we would have been in lockdown yeah working at home is an interesting one and i can really talk about it all day um long story short i enjoy working from home mm-hmm. uh within moderation and within reason I don't think everyone can do it. It's based on their circumstances. It's based on the tasks that you have. It's based on how many people in the project are doing it. But there are a certain set of criteria that you need to attain before, like if I was ever a boss, um, before I would give someone free reign over working from home. Um, They need to be autonomous. They shouldn't be in that learning stage of, you know, seeking mentorship and things like that. Yeah and you need to be able to trust them but i guess you should be trusting of all of your employees Um, but also it has to be task dependent because if you're working in such a multidisciplinary and collaborative industry like mine um, it's it's really hard to communicate effectively in a way that's going to keep the project moving at the same pace yeah Um, so yeah I'm, i'm in two minds about the work from home thing Because my job's mostly technical, because I'm the lead designer for the ones that I'm working on now, it's fine. I'll just stay at home and punch out a few models and write a report 
or something like that. But obviously, if I need to communicate effectively, if I need to liaise with other people, if I need to brainstorm in meetings or workshops, then I'm at the office. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah 100%. I agree with that. And and as a graduate who graduated in 2019, I moved into a consultant company, um, yep. Arab. And my very first year, I was in there for about two weeks before we had to start working from home. And that would have been tough. Yeah, that was that was really tough because I hadn't really met anyone there yeah. yet. Um, but the team was very. Um, we had had really good uh, communication with each other. Everyone was checking in on you, um, especially someone who's quite young in the company as well. And if there's not really any projects for you to work on, then you're really just sitting there doing nothing, right? And that was quite. I get that's a big negative, I guess, starting in the industry with 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 COVID happening but I think that was across the board a lot of people would have had the same experience but once again these companies they do care for you and they will always make sure that you're doing all right your mental health your physical health working from home is tough but it's also good at the same time because like you said if you need to do something that's like prioritized uh, you can just punch it out straight away yeah. by yourself with no distractions but when it comes to meetings and engaging with clients, it's much better to be there in person rather than talking over like through a screen. Yeah, absolutely. And if anything, it's better from a career opportunity mm. perspective because we are social creatures. If someone knows you by face, if someone knows you because you've been in the kitchen room and you know, you've had those, um, kind of icebreaker conversations those water cooler conversations you know a bit about them there's a rapport that's built there that i don't think you can replace without that human interaction um, that's physical so yeah Uh, look i do think the future entails a lot of working from home tasks and and opportunities and i'm glad that covid has expedited the inevitable and i think really has brought it forward by 10 years mm-hmm. um you just need to be responsible with working from home uh, and just to speak about the whole you know not having tasks as a beginner if you're yeah. working from home that happens to me in the office i mean i remember when i first started out i think i had a two-month period of downtime yeah everyone was busy on their own alliance pro- projects that were well established and you know they were kind of giving me tasks here and there what did i do with my free time i went and learned how to program yeah i went through i think a a 12 week um course online over the span of like six months at work just in my downtime and i built it to training um and and i read textbooks and yeah i brought this up with my superiors saying you know i feel bad because i'm building a lot to training Um, And basically what they told me was make the most of this because, you know, it's very rare and it might not ever happen again. Yeah. And And, and it was true. But, you know, I'd never sat idly and just browsed Reddit all day, you know, (laughs) which which some people do. And don't be deceived by the fact that you're in an office with other people. Like if there's downtime you're going to be unproductive and there there is never a full day of work that's yeah. 100% productive that doesn't exist yeah um so yeah just use downtime use your free time that you want to spend gaining knowledge um advancing things that are going to make you a versatile employee an effective leader mm-hmm. um and someone who's equipped for the challenges that life poses you 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely do agree with that, especially since that um, what you said about how even though you have some downtime for about two months, it almost never happens again in the future. Yeah, you just be really absolutely. busy. Um, what what do you do in your downtime? Uh, I know you said you, you enjoy coding. Is that something you're really passionate about? Yes, I'm really passionate about programming, um, I, I guess music, exercise and fitness. Um, so I have a few hobbies. I love reading as well. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to find more hobbies to kind of spend my free time in. Um, so I've been doing a bit of gardening on my balcony, um, yeah. trying to renovate the, the living area a little bit and, and kind of change things around. But yeah, look, it does get hard to fit in a lot of hobbies with a full-time career. Uh, I mean, I, I can't speak for people with kids. I'd imagine it's a lot worse. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've been working hard since I started working, you know, maybe averaging about 50-hour weeks. So yeah, I, I use my free time where I can to nurture my relationships, my friendships, my family, and my health. Um, and then I probably spread out any of the remaining free time into the things that interest me. Yeah, it's a really good way of spending your time as well. But it, it's, it's a wonder how, how many hours you can actually spend on this free time, especially since you're bombarded with a lot of work. Yeah, uh, and look, I think that's, that pays tribute to the time management skills that I established at uni. Yep. I started using Google calendars in second year organizing my time effectively i don't want people to get the wrong impression and think that i'm like a, a stickler for the rules and a stickler for the schedule and that i abide by everything that i set and that i am perfectly productive because that doesn't exist and i'm inherently lazy and i <laughs> take shortcuts where i can and i procrastinate yeah. all the time um but i just prioritize my tasks i try and set up a reasonably flexible schedule that's going to see me achieving the things that I need to do in in my day Mm -hmm. Um, makes me never forget commitments that I've made in the future Um, and also lets me see the free time that I have and I think that's one of the really important things because you know if you can't see how much free time you have you're going to automatically assume that you've got none yeah and then that's going to make you more likely to just burn time um but, but yeah, I think you shouldn't be too stringent with these things as well. You need to live your life a little bit. And for me, like, you know, if I'm going to work and doing a good job and I'm going to the gym and I'm seeing my friends, I'm satisfied and anything after that is just a bonus. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm willing to work really hard and make compromises and sacrifices for the time being because I'm 25 years old with no dependence and I have the most energy that I'm ever going to have in my life again so Mm. you know for me it's important in my set of values to capitalize on that Um, but really you know if if you're doing these I guess bare minimum things like you're working you're contributing to society you're taking care of your physical health and your family then yeah that covers all the bases yeah definitely agree with that um, wrapping, wrapping up now, um, if, if any students out there are listening to this and are interested in BGE, um, what's the what's what's one thing that BGE 
as a company look for as a new starter? Uh, I think it's really initiative. I think the one word is initiative. Yeah. Um, because if you have initiative, you can be taught, um, you're going to push through and persevere and you're going to have pride in your work. And those are really the qualities that you'd think about when you think of a model engineer employee. Yep. Okay, great. And if anyone is interested in bg who should they be sending their CV and, and resume to? So we have an application portal on our website, bgeeng.com. So just bgeeng. Um, applications are open year round, so you may as well just flick through your cover letter, your resume and your transcript and someone will get to you. Thank you for that. I'm sure there will be a fair few students who would be keen to apply for BGE. I'd like to thank you again, Mo, for joining me today for this very first episode of this um, podcast series. I really do appreciate it and thank you for giving us an insight on your uni life and also your last three years of working. No worries, Colin. Great initiative and thanks for having me on. Thank you very much for tuning in to this week's episode. If you have any feedback about the episode or any questions regarding things such as vacation work or graduate applications, feel free to send me a message at www.facebook.com forward slash the life after uni and I'll try my best to help you out.